Three, two, one, and we're back. Welcome to Sunday Podcast. We always like to start out uh, with a disclaimer on Sunday. This is not the normal Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching Podcast. That's where we actually uh, are prepared and have outlines and are you know, planning on giving you guys education, motivation, hopefully enough so to get you into action. But on Sunday, we just talk about whatever the heck we want to talk about. Anything goes. Anything goes. And oftentimes, we try to talk about things that are of personal interest to us that have absolutely nothing to do with real estate. And and I think in some cases, based on your feedback, some of the things we introduced you guys to are things that are um, of interest to you as well, which tells me that we all have a shared hive brain, basically. Indeed. I mean, in past podcasts, we've talked about the boom in sex dolls. Great. <laughs> <Right>, and aliens. <laughs> We've talked about aliens. We've talked about you know indigenous uh, critters in Puerto Rico and those who are not indigenous, like alligators and you know huge iguanas and all these crazy things. And I, I guess I I appreciate you guys listening and giving us feedback on the Sunday shows, liking the fact that we're um, so free flowing on Sunday because frankly it gives us a good relief. And that's really what this podcast is. It's our opportunity to defrag from the previous week and sort of prepare for the upcoming week. Um, we try to, you know, we try to sprinkle in the real estate stuff just to make sure, in entrepreneurial stuff, just to make sure you guys are staying frosty and prep for the next week. But also, this is our opportunity to have a collective sigh of relief and, you know, kind of celebrating another week behind us and looking forward to the week in front of us. Yes, indeed. And so we can start with adventures in, uh, you know, our our afternoon walk. I always, I think that's one of my favorite parts of the day with you, because we get to talk about. All kinds of different things, what we've heard on calls well, and we podcasts, listen to podcasts, and we listen too. to podcasts, yeah. and we kind of get updated with what's going on, and uh, a lot of it affects you guys, so you might hear about some things that we learn on our walk, but it's also sort of like, uh, okay, what's going to happen this time around? And I remember one day last week, we were walking, and you know, these guys don't, maybe don't know, but we live at the Ritz-Carlton Dorado Beach in Puerto Rico, and part of the property is, uh, it's 1,300 acres, and the Rockefeller Nature Trail goes through goes past a beach and it goes through some neighborhoods it goes through the jungle and you get a little bit of everything that way some ocean breezes and and i remember i don't know it probably was monday considering and we're walking through the jungle and and we hear this giant funk and i thought what in the world was that and and it was a little windy but you know you never know what you're gonna see it was just a, a coconut falling from you know 40 feet in the air thank god it wasn't on your head you know so uh that's always an adventure trying to walk and dodge things at the same time though they do a pretty good job taking them off why doesn't puerto rico have bigfoot lore it probably does it's probably just in spanish and i haven't discovered it yet we need to start it absolutely that's a good thing that's right i mean you have a bigfoot that's basically just think through this yeah Hmm. i mean where we're from in columbus ohio there wasn't a bigfoot thing any but there was in southern ohio there was for sure yeah and up in canada they call them different things but why isn't there something in the caribbean Hmm. what would we call them I i don't know we're gonna work on that well, I will figure that out. Yeah. We yeah. need to start something yeah. that gets other people talking. See, this this is very <laughs> tempting for uh, spicing up homeschool. <laughs> just saying. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. so we're, uh, can I... Yeah, you know, so that was just one day was the, the coconut that came from nowhere. The coconut, the, the uh, life-ending coconut. coconut. Right. And so um, we're walking home and... After six miles and it's, you know, pretty hot here and humid and whatnot and it helps to have a good podcast or in our case two to three to listen to as we're walking around we listen to a lot of uh, current event podcasts but julie and i also listen to a lot of episodal podcasts just because they're kind of interesting and again we're intentionally trying to unplug from the normal rigmarole of life 
Um, so we were walking the path and we come across this massive iguana. And this thing was so freaking big. We're not sure if it was a male or a female. I think it was a female. Julie thinks it was a male. I don't, know. I don't even know how the hell to tell the difference. I sex and, yeah, that's what they call it, you know. A sexing an iguana? Yeah, like when you go to get a goldfish, the fish people go, okay, you've got to sex it. Are you saying you thought that they, iguana was sexy? No, no, no. Thank God. No, it hasn't come to that yet. You better hope not. But uh, the fish people always, like, they know how to tell boy and girl fish I know, apart. I so, know, I don't know. I, know. I don't they, know how to sex an iguana. I no, don't. I, okay, well. You it's could, a good thing, because that would be scary if I You could, could just GTS it real quick and just find the different well, Google that I mean, SHIT. Anyway, it was a big one is the bottom yeah. line. Well, anyway, it was a big one, totally unafraid of us, completely made us walk around it and did We're not We're not talking move. like an aquarium iguana, guys. We're talking no. about, like, probably a good five-foot including his tail well you're five foot five and this thing yeah. probably stem to stern was almost as long as you probably if you were yeah yeah and as as uh robust as maybe say a jack russell terrier in the middle you know like kind of beefy yeah and uh very green and he would look or she would look you right in the eye you know usually like if you're in a golf cart they'll scurry off but walking on the path they're like no this is my path i'm sunning Exactly. Go around. That's what's going on. And we did. <laughs> we did. Yes. Got some good pictures, though. Right. And so we're coming home like the following day, almost in the same exact spot. And, our, and one of our, our neighbors were out and we asked them if they saw this monster iguana. It's not so unusual to see monster iguanas uh, in Puerto Rico, but it is unusual to see them where we live. The things are not indigenous and they're very, very destructive. Um, if you've ever been to Puerto Rico before, you'll remember how in some cases the roads are atrocious. And the reason is, is because the iguanas, these big, you know, locomotive iguanas, they burrow underneath the roads and they cause the roads to collapse. And there's all kinds of other problems that they create. They eat everything. They're just, you know, there's, they have no natural predators, or so we thought. <laughs> so, so we're walking home and we run, stumble across our neighbors and uh, we tell them, you know, there's this, another giant iguana that's out there. Did you see it? And they said no. To which they then said, did you see uh, that the fact that there was a six foot long alligator or longer that was essentially next door to you <laughs> and i was yeah, julie and i were like we caught like this morning yeah and we're like no you're making that up there's no because <laughs> there are no alligators or crocodiles in well, puerto rico not supposed to be anyway right and so the, nobody knows for sure how they get here um but the belief is is that when there's a storm the eggs will float in or they'll come in on fallen trees or just all no who knows what but they do make it here and then they'll basically the eggs will uh, you know, hatch and they'll be they'll live their lives in some of these internal water retention things, both natural ponds and man-made and whatever. And yeah, occasionally you hear, hear a story about you know they discovered a you know ten foot long alligator and whatever, whatever. Well, so evidently one of these big guys was what six houses down from us. Yeah. And it's like you got to think to yourself, okay, it's an alligator. Got that? Yeah. Seen it before? Understand it? But the thing that's amazing is when those things are born, they're just they're tiny. Yeah. Well, for a little while. Right. But so if that thing has gone from being a tiny little thing, you know, so like it has to be. I mean, I don't know how big a full grown full grown alligator is, but pretty darn close, at least an adult. And, you know, when you guys are picturing this, this is not like, you know, normal subdivision, so to speak. This is more like. You know, the houses back to a meadow that used to be a golf course. There's a big lagoon, a big lake there. And then behind that is the ocean. So, you know, it. I, I can understand how it came from somewhere, given that there's water and meadows and, you know, places to hide and things to eat. And what makes this even more believable is the fact that you remember a few months ago when I uh, was taking Zoe to school or picking her up and I got an email that said, 
guess what? You guys need to be careful, you know, especially if you park next to the pond because there's an alligator we have to catch. Well, this was this was last this year. Was, but my yeah. point is, even though they're not supposed to be here, I believe it even more because we had had that previous incident of, you know, be careful around the pond when you're picking your kid up. Another reason for homeschooling, <laughs> by the way. Like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, but so, just, it, it was maybe just it was funny. Maybe that one. Maybe he got B- Because ultimately, here. it's what you're saying. So that thing to have gone from nothing to six foot long, it's had like to have how? been basically hanging out yeah, in somewhere. our neighborhood for, I don't even know how long. I don't have to, I know nothing about alligators, so yeah. I'm going to keep it that but way. But maybe Let's, that explains why there's fewer iguanas. That's my here. point. That's where I was going with this. Yep. Big picture. Make sure you've got that near your mouth. So yeah, that's where, that's where I was going with it. Is I think that there's uh, essentially a you know a uh, socio or psychopathic alligator that's been taking out the big iguanas. Well, it's 2020, so chances you know are what? good. We sh- since we're talking about something <laughs> totally bizarre, yeah. walking on the path another day, same exact scenario, and this pond that Julie was just describing to you guys, it's not really a pond; it's a lake, uh, and it's like we you know it's right behind our property basically, and uh, we saw a giant turtle. Oh yeah, eating. Oh, a that was disgusting. medium-sized iguana head first. <laughs> and I thought, until that very moment, I thought turtles were pretty cute. Uh, yeah, but this it was. was disgusting. It was disgusting. It was just horrifying. It was horrifying. Oh, like, I'm so glad Zoe wasn't with us that day. That, but she that would have been a look-away moment. But she would have thought it was very interesting. You, but you can't unsee that. That's just really gross. So before we, our conversation peaks, <laughs> what else have you got? I'm just trying to think if we've seen other horrifying things. Oh, well, hey, we escaped a, a hurricane this week. Yes, you know, I, I kind of, I don't know. I was thinking about what to compare that to, but they really, you know, I mean, for us, it was basically a few good thunderstorms and some rain, but it just goes to show how unpredictable weather like that is because, you know, that, that whole day before and the night before, we had like seven different weather alerts, hurricane statements, and uh, they were predicting winds up to 65 miles an hour and 8 to 10 inches of rain and I think we got like a half an inch and 15 miles an hour. I'm sure there's other parts of the island that got it worse than we did but you know that's supposed to hook up pretty soon with Hurricane Marco which just formed and head for the Gulf Coast. So those of you guys who are anywhere from Texas to the Gulf Coast of Florida you know keep an eye on that because uh, it's 2020 and I guess a couple of dual hurricanes haven't gotten together in a long time. Yeah exactly. If there's a year for it I guess. That explains it. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, this has been a wackadoodle year. That's the thing. I mean, <laughs> earlier is. we were talking in a past podcast. We've been talking about what the locusts that returned, the flying snakes that were supposedly. Yeah. I mean, just and all some sorts asteroids. of. But yeah, exactly. And, and then it's pretty funny. There seems to be a steady sort of drumbeat, uh, though the you know it's yeah. There's the, a fire what, tornado last week. What's the musical week? term, Julie? When the the drumbeat is increasing, tenor yes. is right. that it? Tenor. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I just got an alert that uh, Tropical Storm Marco now upgraded to an actual hurricane, uh, Category 1 for now anyway. And Marco and Laura have met, met up in the Gulf, and they're uh, yeah, basically they're probably going to spin yeah. off some tornadoes. I don't know. Well, but I have noticed, that, and I like to send these articles to you, that there's an increased tenor in the number of stories about UFOs. There is. Yeah. I, I, I do wonder whether that's because... You know, they've known about this for a while, and they just kind of sliding it into some otherwise weirdo news so that we don't all wig out. I don't know. But uh, it, it's pretty credible sources, though, is the interesting thing. I, I'm a natural skeptic, and every time I hear anything and read anything it's like drones. that, I always, I always go, my mind thinks, well, what are they trying to distract us from, mm-hmm. honestly? That's what it feels right. like Right, I think to me. you're right, especially as close to the election and stuff like that. Right. So, uh, yeah, lots of bizarreities to track. 
But, you know, that I think the overall theme that you and I have been working on, you know, not that our Sunday shows usually have a theme other than the weirdness of everything, um, <laughs> is just the general uncertainty of pretty much everything. You, you can look at any piece of your life, really, and say, all right, so where's that going? Okay, so we had a bunch of uncertainty about homeschooling. Now we're all trying to adjust to that. There's uncertainty in the economy. Why is it that both the stock market and gold are doing well at the same time? That's yeah, not supposed to happen. That's crazy. You know, um, and of course, the housing market has lots of uncertainty in it. And I see that on our premier coaching calls. I see that, you know, it, it's not all that consistent. People are having different types of experiences now than they had before. And that's just, just adding to, your, to the uncertainty. Are you running to your safe place on our podcast yeah, talking about being, real estate? I'm going towards your Forbes article. I, I know, but you're running, you're running to your safe place. So I'm going to talk about more crazy things okay. first. That's fine. Okay. I was kind of out of crazy. I know. I'm, oh, I got limit limitless <laughs> amount of crazy. Okay. My crazy can go on for hours. That's probably true. Yeah. Okay. But... Good news. Yes. Supposedly tonight, that. Sunday at six oh, yes. p.m. This is great news. Yeah, I think. Did you read? You have I an, did. Go ahead. Um, let me let me just pull that up. You can tee it up. So there's an article that was uh, it's come out it came out in Bloomberg and now it's sort of making its way. But it is pretty hilarious how they're making this article so damn political. But evidently there's actually a viable therapy for the coronavirus that uh, Trump is going to talk about on national TV today at six o'clock. But again, because everything's – you can't just talk about anything that's even remotely good news uh, that will benefit the current administration. Um, so they always had they had to spin it. So these articles that came out were basically about Trump um, you know, telling the FDA to get off their butts and move faster and that their bureaucratic processes are too slow. And so here it is, a possible therapy, which is about as close you're going to get to a vaccine in the short while for coronavirus, and th- which everyone should be celebrating – and yet it's being spun up as, you know, Trump being right, unsympathetic the, to the FDA bureaucrats. I thought that was yeah. hilarious. Uh, so this says uh, President Trump is expected to hold a press conference Sunday evening regarding a major therapeutic breakthrough. It's funny how they even write this quote breakthrough with quotes around it for treating COVID-19. The White House said late Saturday night. So that's coming up tonight. And it goes on to talk about uh, the preference. The press conference comes as the president uh, suggested that the FDA was deliberately slowing down clinical cl- clinical trials for therapeutics and vaccines for the coronavirus. And then, of course, that was widely criticized. And we'll see how it actually goes. But they probably were purposely slowing it down just because their process is innately slow. Sure. And, you know, there has never been such pressure because the numbers and because, you know, this is a worldwide pandemic. It's different than maybe something that was only affecting a certain number of people in a certain place. So, you know, it probably was legitimately slow, but now this is a thing for tonight to keep an eye on. Yeah, well, so that could be great news. But the numbers are, you know, the charts that you sent and the graphs really do support that this could be a good thing. I think the thing to pay attention to on this was it was most effective if it was uh, given in the first four days, particularly the first two days. And then starting the fifth day after you knew you were infected, it started to diminish its effectiveness. And so a lot of the reporting, if you kind of deep dive that article a lot of the previous reporting about how it it, they didn't think it was effective was because it was first used on patients in the hospital that already were pretty sick and so now they've they've rewound it and said you know this needs to be like as soon as you know that you've tested it's going to be more effective yeah so it's always the the devils in the details you know well so julie and i had a theory and i'm gonna stick to it i'm not gonna say our timing was right with our theory but i'm Mm -hmm. gonna stick to it I think that we are being, uh, I think there's going to be a, a human renaissance. 
Definitely. Yeah, and I think the Renaissance, and we talked about this um, even during our normal podcast, but truly that's what it feels like. And just to encapsulate all of it, because I think you guys are at least wanting to feel this way, and you're maybe internally starting to lean in that direction. Generally speaking, if you think about life in general, but more specifically, uh, you know, trends, the pendulum, right? The pendulum has a tendency to swing too far to one direction, too far to the other. I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> Bless you in advance. <coughs> Caught it. And, yeah, I kind of did. Kind of. <coughs> Bless you. Not coronavirus. I've been tested. No. So the um, pendulum has a tendency to swing too far one direction than too far another direction, right? Yes, that's right. And I think what we're starting to see are the, are people growing weary of the pendulum having swung too far to the direction that's been swinging in for I agree. It, you're right. Yeah. So I don't think it's there yet. People aren't like, all right, I've had enough of that. We're not doing that anymore. We're going to do something else. Yeah. But what you're starting to see is the weight of the pendulum. Now, sure. I think it's reached its zenith in essence, mm-hmm. and the weight of it's going to start pulling it back so that it swings back the opposite direction. To. And then eventually what happens is the pendulum, if you guys can you know, visualize this, stops somewhere in the middle. And that's pretty much how everything works. And I, I think what we're starting to see is we're starting to see people growing weary of being weary. Yeah, I think it's kind of like drama exhaustion. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. which realtors re- very rarely have. <laughs> they have a higher tolerance. <laughs> they have a higher tolerance. Sure. But um, yeah, I think yes. that's worth Years of building it up. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that that's true. And I think that, you know, I hope, I think we all collectively hope that there will be a collective sigh of relief that, all right, we're rounding the bend on this thing. And I, I do think that a therapeutic or a vaccine will be the catalyst for something huge. And I also think that it's a demonstration, you know, what is it called? Operation Warp Speed to get it done yeah. faster. And we're not talking a little bit faster. You know, the average vaccine, I think, takes like 10 years to develop or something. And they may be able to do it in, you know, I don't know, 18 months, 12 months, something like that. But it's also, I think, representative of what you're alluding to, a renaissance and enlightenment showing that uh, we can all move on certain things much more quickly now, probably, partially because of technology. I mean, look at how far, for example, Elon Musk has gone as a private entrepreneur in space, of all yeah. things, in less than 10 years. I read this week that he's the, now I think he's the fourth richest man on the planet and came from nothing. His uh, net worth this year has increased something like 60 to $70 billion Isn't this that amazing? Year. This year. I mean, talk about speed. That's a good year. You know, that's a good year. Yeah. And think about how quickly, even though maybe... For several months, it seemed painfully. But think about how quickly we've all converted to online um, everything. Everything, right? Not just, For, not just school, yep. but online. You know, we're doing Zoom meetings, and you guys are doing presentations online. You know, we have had to to adapt very quickly. And I think looking back, we'll see a lot of technological advances that happened fast. Um, you know, all all of these things that we have to kind of deal with. And even as a society, to maybe put in place some things that we probably should have been more sensitive to earlier, like you know, wear a mask when you're sick, stuff like that. You know, it's it's not. We always, everyone always talks about the go-to's, right? Right. Or they talk about uh, housing trends. Mm -hmm. Everyone talks about restaurant. You know, all these types of businesses that are obviously, basically, essentially going to be forced to change. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's so many. Like, think for example, if you were a physician, right? Yeah. Uh, you can now do telemedicine sure. where you can essentially have patients all over the planet and you can essentially have this big medical practice that's not you know, predicated yeah. on you being in a geographic location anymore. Well, you but can... now that's seen as not 
uh, hokey or witchcraftery right. or, or, you know, compromised. secondary compromise, right. you know, and somebody's just throwing that together. Just like homeschools become normal now. The telemedicine is becoming more normal. You know, Zoe's had a couple of uh, colds during this whole thing, and um, sometimes he comes to our house. Sometimes he's just like, give me the symptoms over video, and, you know, then I have a prescription in an hour. It's pretty awesome. So I like that. So Zoe, Zoe's story, this is last week. Uh, so Zoe was starting to, you know, develop a, uh, and some sort of sickness. And we could tell from a mile away because yep. back when she was going to school, she was coming home with some plague every two weeks, it seemed. And so, you know, we picked up on the early signs that she was getting an ear infection or something, her usual thing. Mm-hmm. Though she hasn't had a single one of those since the pandemic no, started, her, just the record. Her uh, brown lines under her eyes. Yep. Anyway, anyway, so we asked her, you know, Zoe, what happened? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't feel good. So the doctor then, we, you know, does this thing, comes to our house, actually, um, and then checks her out and says, there's sand in her ears. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like sand in your ears, huh, Zoe? And she, then she, then for the first time, she goes, some boy threw sand at me. Yep. He was picking on me. Some boy at the beach well, threw sand at me. Because I finally caved and let her go to uh, summer camp, thinking right. that, you know, it's pretty, pretty safe because it's... Just four kids per counselor, and they're basically in the ocean all day in salt water, so okay, it probably should be safe, but this is my payback for it. So so then Julie goes, you know, Julie reports to me, some boy there, I think I knew it was, yeah. threw sand on our poor little innocent daughter, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> yeah, whatever. There's no way Zoe is Zoe? telling Julie the whole story. I know. You're so right. So Julie and I walk into Zoe's room, and I said, Zoe, I want to hear what really happened with this sand and this boy. And I said, Zoe, if you tell us the truth, we won't be proud of you. Or we won't be mad at you. Sorry. We won't be mad at you. And then she turns away and she thinks about it for probably about three seconds, which was kind of funny. And then she turns back to us and she says, fine. I threw sand at him first. (laughs) That's right. Just had to give her permission to tell the truth. Yep. But it was hilarious, though, because of course she's the one that started it. Of course she started it. I know. Tiny but mighty. Yeah. That's right. Little bully. I know. She's going to get her clock cleaned one of these days. No, she's too cute. Know. No, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. That's the thing. So. When you're when you're a tiny little adorable girl, you can get away with pretty much any. Well, mm-hmm. look, what she's getting away with, for example. I know. Totally. <laughs> As we speak, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, so let's forward this conversation. And, and the real you know takeaway that we're learning, and hopefully all you guys are learning, is versatility. Yeah, not just not sure. just with how you basically look at life, but how you treat your fellow humans. Because if it, it's the phases of grief thing, remember, we're long-time listeners, we are mm-hmm. kind of tying in the phases of acceptance of the new, you know, wherever the new world will be, you know, the post-pandemic or, you know, post-coronavirus world, what that's actually going to feel and look like. And so many of us, I did too, and Julie did too, we went through these different stages of mourning. I remember back in uh, February when we were realizing that there's this global pandemic and all these uncertainties, which, by the way, are largely still there. Nobody really knows anything about this damn thing and there's new articles coming out every day and most of us had probably just tuned out and just accepted the fate (laughs) you know you gotta get on with life yep uh but yeah so i remember julie and i introduced the concept that what was what we were all experiencing were the phases of grief and sort of you kind of got to go through them but you don't want to linger too long in any of the particular phases at least the first three in particular because the world's going to pass you by and your ultimate goal is to get to acceptance and i think that's where people have gotten or are getting on a you know they're they're going to on a whole the the part of the population that worries me are all these people mostly in the cities who are hoping and praying that the world stays on lockdown forever though what's the end game for that that doesn't work i mean i don't know it it's it's fascinating we have 
Well, we're going to talk about real, real estate trends. The article Julia was referring to here in, um, a second ago. And if you look at the the macro trends that, like I remember the CEO of uh, Zillow came out and said, we're seeing no evidence that these yeah. the move away from the cities is something that's going to be you know a permanent you know trend in real estate. Wrong. Yeah, that's <laughs> wrong. <laughs> that was absolutely not. Now what we're seeing is the trend is the, the pace is increasing. And you're going to see as a result of, um, so just to finish the loop of what I was just talking about. So if you know people that are sort of trying to stick into this lockdown lifestyle, which is what we're going to start calling it, um, have sympathy for them, right? But don't get stuck in that rut yourself because life does not stay stationary. You can't stay complacent. If you try to stay in this lockdown lifestyle and mentally, emotionally, and financially, you're going to go broke because the world's going to pass you by. And it's going to be 10 years or 20 years from now, and you're still going to be living the lockdown lifestyle. And you all know people who have never quite got back from completely the recession of 07 through, you know, whenever. There went a parrot, by the way, that crazy noise. So don't get stuck there. You guys got to move forward. And the easiest way to do it is just disengage from your own fears, disengage from your ego, and always attach to the fact that your highest and truest purpose on this planet is to be of service to other people. So if you start thinking in terms of how can I help people as a real estate practitioner, you can help people in, by a real estate as a real estate practitioner through the most profound ways. You can help them buy or sell a home. You can help them the accomplishment of a dream. And what we're thinking is going to happen, what appears to be happening, and we're going to stay with this because I haven't found any real – now, it's confirmation bias at this point. Right. But I really do believe we're on the beginning stages of what's going to feel like a renaissance. Mm-hmm. You and I started – we. We kind of put that thought together a couple months ago, but I really do feel that is going to happen. I think, I think so, it too. does appear that this there's going to be a viable vaccine for the coronavirus, mm-hmm. and it might very well be in place like you know immediately soonish. Right, and and here's the other thing, and you mentioned this too. You're looking at um, the wealth effect, if you want to call it like call it what you know maybe what it is. That there's no clear turn in the road, so. In other words, if you guys are, if some of you are not invested at all, so you, you're just, you know, catching the headlines and you're not paying attention to it, but the stock market is going crazy. And then at the same time, as Julie said, you have gold prices that are going crazy. Gold's going to most likely, uh, you know, all the biggest investors or whatnot are, I mean, Warren Buffett guys are, is, is buying gold and Warren Buffett is probably one of the most, um, vocal, I, vocal about not buying gold. He, he actually, he's the one that said, you know, only humans if aliens were to visit earth this is like i think what he says they would they would think it was crazy how humans spend all this time money and resources to dig up you know this yellow metal uh, out of the ground in one part of the world just to bury it in another part of the world right. you yeah. know but it, it's it's kind of a funny quote which made a lot a lot of people hung their hat on that the world's greatest investor you know and he's bad mouthing the idea of investing in gold well guess what he's buying gold he bought uh, Barrick Gold, which is a gold miner stock, which they also have a lot of gold themselves. I mean, basically the gold in the, in the ground. But Barrick is a gold is probably one of the um, it is the largest gold miner in the world, and they're also the um, the go to stock if you want to basically hedge your portfolio. So traditionally, people will buy gold as in essence an insurance policy towards their other asset their other assets deflating. So gold would historically, you know, for four or five thousand years, gold is a, has been seen as money, right? 
for how many years has the U.S. dollar 300 years? Mm -hmm. And really, the U.S. Well, dollar is only even really only 200 because the, people don't know this, but about the first hundred years of the country's existence, money was not even consistently the same thing. You know, people had uh, IOU notes. They were learning how to write checks. They had some British money. They had. You know, they would trade in other assets before it actually became a real currency. Well, so it became the global, uh, you know, de facto global currency, um, you know, after World War Two. Yeah. In essence. And uh, then, we, you know, fast forward to now. A much shorter history than gold, certainly. That's the point. Yeah. So gold's basically been seen as money for four to five thousand years since the advent of yeah, just I'll go with trade that. in general. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, that's... When somebody is a gold investor, when somebody is a gold investor, what they're essentially doing is they're they're buying gold because they don't believe that, um, for example, the U.S. dollar will have the same um, buying power as it does now, or they don't believe that their other assets are going to retain value. So it's essentially seen as an insurance policy. In, in, I think in modern era of financial planning, that's how it was seen. Everyone would say, have 10% of your portfolio in gold. So enough about that, right? But Warren Buffett has bought gold last quarter and that really really set the world on edge because why would this guy who's been a if anything he made fun of buying gold why would he now be saying buy gold it's only reason is is because he's hedging against what might be happening next in the global economy at the same time the economy continues to go through or the uh, stock market continues to go through the roof at the same time we still have double digit unemployment and yes. we still and, and we still housing is still doing overall generally pretty well. So if you're wanting to sort of decode why all that is, so just you know the stock market generally speaking is a forward-looking indicator of people's beliefs of what those companies will be worth in the future, you know, or what they're able to produce in the future. So when you buy, you know, Apple at $500 a share or whatever it is, you're buying it with the belief that Apple shares are going to be worth, you know, more in the future because of the products that they deliver to consumers and you know, that kind of thing. Their sales will increase. That's the belief, right? So if you're uh, buying gold, you're believing that that won't happen. So that's essentially, so stock market forward-looking indicator, uh, essentially people uh, expressing their optimism with spending money and gold essentially is a hedge against the, the future being brighter than the past. But when you have both going up at the same time, you have to ask yourself, why is that happening? And the only reason that's happening, the really the primary reason it's happening, is because the Fed is spending trillions of dollars to essentially keep the stock market in afloat. In other words, the the government is buying securities just like a private investor would or Warren Buffett would, and the stock market is saying we're gonna you know people are investing in the stock market because fear of missing out. They don't want to miss the you know the train as it continues to leave the station. But then if you look at why is that train leaving the station, it's not because of the traditional reasons being that people are purchasing securities because of their optimism for the, you know, the fact that that security might be worth more in the future. That's not what it is. It's because they're seeing that the government, this is what the big investors are doing. They're seeing that the government has essentially locked itself into a long-term like who knows how long long-term is cycle of having to continue to spend trillions and trillions of dollars to support the U.S. economy. So when you think at like, how is it housing being supported through low interest rates? That's how. And why is there a housing boom going on? And why will we think that it's part of this new renaissance, why it's going to transform into other uh, mini housing booms? And we're about to share with you some points that we dug up to support that. Uh, and it's because the government's going to continue to under underwrite support um, all of our spending. 
And even if you're debt free, chances are the people doing business with you are able to do business with you because they're using debt. So the, everything in the United States is based on essentially productivity, yes, but productivity around people's ability essentially to borrow money. No productivity if you can't borrow money to buy whatever it is that person has for sale. So the whole entire economy is based on uh, borrowed money in essence. Uh, so as we move forward and you're thinking about why could why is it all these things are happening at the same time? It's for the reason I just stated. Something close to $20 trillion has been injected into the U.S. economy from the Fed since the beginning of the, uh, the year, effectively, since February. And there's no end in sight. Nobody, no, certainly not the Democrats and certainly not the Republicans. They're all essentially playing the same, you know, Keynesian, uh, they're going to continue doing it. And so called quantitative easing, called CARES Act, called whatever you're going to call it. It's called, there's going to be, now when does it end? Who knows? And that's why Warren Buffett's buying gold. Because he believes, and a lot of people believe, there is going to have to be an end to it. There will be um, a time when the bill will come due. There will be a time when uh, you know the money isn't so cheap anymore. And so it's when other people aren't willing to buy the debt instruments. And I'll give you an example. Who would buy, raise your hand right now, podcast listeners, if you would actually buy a long-term U.S. Treasury bond that paid a point or less, like a 30-year treasury bond that paid 1%. Would you buy that bond? Would you Would you invest your money long-term? In essence, would you loan the U.S. government money um, at essentially no interest uh, and tie your money up for 30 years for 1%? You wouldn't do it, would you? Well, nobody will do it. And so guess who's buying those debt instruments? The U.S. government is buying their own debt instruments so they can essentially loan more money. I, and I know that sounds insane, but that's really what hap- what's happening. So there's a circle happening. They're saying we need to print more money. In order to print more money, we have to essentially issue more debt. And oh, there's no one that wants to buy our debt at these no interest rate, you know, bond rates. And so we're going to buy it ourselves. That's really what's going on right now. And as long as that continues, as long as we're able to continue it, then there's going to be a lot of upward momentum in asset prices. And it's probably going to be the asset, the price, the increase in cost of things through inflation is really what we're getting at here. It's going to start um, being incredibly noticeable. I was reading an article, several articles about how much food has increased in price since the beginning of the year. That's inflation. When you see house prices increase as much as they have over the last five years, especially six years, maybe that's inflation. But you're going to start seeing inflation kick, uh, creep into every single thing uh, that's in the economy. And that's going to put a downward. Eventually, the other side of it is there will be something what, you know, the worst case scenarios will be hyperinflation where things just go crazy out of whack with what people, their ability to buy things. So just normal, you know, meat and potatoes, quite literally, will become mm-hmm. unaffordable by normal people because they won't have the income to afford it. And so you're going to see prices that will change throughout the day. I mean, that that's your worst case scenario, right? Like you'll walk in and, you know, milk will be $5 a gallon, but by the time you walk out, it's going to be six fifty. These things have historically happened in world economies where they have allowed their fiat currency to go amok. The biggest difference is there's never been a global reserve currency, and that's what the U.S. dollar uh, is for the entire world after you know the the uh, agreements after World War II. So when you hear all these people using the examples of the Weimar Republic in Germany and all these other things in these sort of backwater countries, and you're asking, well, is that same thing going to happen here? I don't think it can because the there is no follow-up currency that's looking to replace the U.S. dollar. And uh, guys, we're we're nerding out like we always do on Sunday, mm-hmm. but unless there's a viable alternative, like for example. If you wanted to go 
This is the reason there's so much hype around uh, Bitcoin and gold, one of the undercurrent reasons why. So let's say, for example, you want to go and buy, you want to sell something. It doesn't matter what you want to sell. Make something up, right? You want to sell a, you know, a, uh, what, a, a box of eggs, let's say, a carton of eggs. And let's say that carton of eggs, you can sell it for, what, are, what does a carton of eggs cost? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> we get ours from a local farmer, right? Yeah. Well, let's just five bucks. let's just choose five bucks. Okay, That's five bucks. Right. All right. So you, you these these eggs, you know, they have serviceability. You can eat them. You can trade them with somebody that where they have something for sale that you want. Maybe they want your eggs, kind of thing. Barter it, whatever. Right. You you're you'll pay somebody uh, your your eggs to fix your fence, that type of thing. But if you if someone comes along and they offer you you know five dollars in cash for U.S. dollar for your eggs, and you then have to decide whether if you take that five dollars whether that five dollars is going to buy you in the future maybe the same day the same value as what you could get for those eggs had you traded them or bartered them or whatever i mean this is this yeah, is my what... grandma used to tell me a story about that that um she remembered i don't know whether she read about this or experienced it but you know during the depression that um you know, people eventually said that the loaf of bread was worth more to them than the grocery cart full of cash it took to buy it with. Because it, it you know, like you said, by the end of the day, it actually had more value than the cash it took to buy it. Well, those pictures of um, people using wheelbarrows of cash yeah, to buy, right? Those real. are real. Those are real. real. Yeah. We Googled it because we thought they were fake. Yeah. Well, no, I remember telling me about it. But right. Yeah. Uh, so, so what's now, okay. Stay with me here. Julie and I are obviously not experts on any of this. We're armchair economists. <laughs> armchair economists, not even barely in an armchair. Mm-hmm. So just keep in mind that we're probably fumbling over terms and not saying things precisely, but conceptually, just stay with us. So, um, and we always get emails after this and people trying to correct us with our facts and our factoids, which I actually appreciate because it helps me learn. It The mosquito flew over here. I'm going to get it. I know. I am going There's to a get mosquito it. that's haunting Julie and I. We never have mosquitoes where we are right now, but no. I think it's from the rain. It's yeah, made them, of course. This one, this one had a taste of me. He's coming back for me, and I'm going to win. I know. Well, me too. He's going from you to me, but he yes. hasn't gotten us it's yet. Just... All right. So with regards to currency, let's say you're back there. You're wanting to sell the eggs. Somebody wants to buy your eggs, and they're going to offer you $5 in U.S. cash, which you're not really positive is going to have buying power of the, of the egg equivalency going forward, or they're going to offer you $5 of you know some other currency or maybe gold right so the thing about gold for example is you know that it's been money for you know four to five thousand years you know that gold is worth the same thing all over the planet there's nothing else in the on the planet earth that's worth the same thing wherever you go it's called spot price so if you buy a, a, an ounce of gold right now it costs roughly two thousand dollars and then you take it to any place in the, on planet Earth, and it's worth guess what, two thousand dollars. Other currencies don't work like that. Like when you guys have, tra- if you've traveled outside of the United States and you have to go into a country like that accepts euros, you at the airport or whatever, you'll go and you'll take your dollars and you'll exchange them for euros. And your dollar you typically isn't it? The, you know, it's gonna you're gonna have to actually spend a dollar twenty or something like that. I don't know what the exchange rate is to get the equivalent of one uh, euros. In other words, our money's worth less than the euro, and all these exchange, all these you know different financial uh, consternations that makes one thing currency worth less than the other. But there is no global currency except gold. So at Bitcoin, they've been trying to make digital currency um, in an alternative to gold. Which it def- de- definitely has its attributes, there's no doubt. And no, we don't have any Bitcoin. Uh, so, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Unless that happens, unless people basically are given an option of accepting um, for their goods or services a different 
form of currency or a different currency, form being digital or gold, or currency being an actual, you know, um, country that's issued maybe a gold-backed currency, right? Unless that happens, the U.S. dollar is still going to, re- I think the word is hegemony, mm-hmm. right? I, they're still going to, the U.S. dollar is still going to maintain its power all over the world because there is no viable alternative. Um, and so when people ask me, like I had um, a coaching client actually ask me, I had two last week, asked me what our predictions were for, for next year. And my predictions, honestly, despite the fact that there's going to be, a, well, we're going to read you guys some uh, predictions here, but despite the fact that there's going to be definitely some headwinds, overall, as crazy as it is, with double-digit employment, this is as pertains to housing, by the way, is what we're about to share with you guys, I really am optimistic about what's going to happen over the next few years, you know, maybe because of all the headwinds that are being created because the headwinds create opportunities for other businesses and entrepreneurs to evolve that never would have been able to before. That's right. So, you know, all of this gets to uncertainty and timing and how all this will pan out. But if there's predictions, you know, we have to remember also some trends that we were seeing pre-COVID. We were already extremely low inventory. You know, according to NAR, we entered 2020 with a deficit of a million listings, a million active listings before things slowed down, which just makes sense that, you know, as we get inventory in the market, you guys are mostly experiencing it burns off pretty quickly with multiple offers, of course, depending on price range and town and stuff like that. We did do a podcast last week and yep. make sure you guys listen to it where you can find all the hidden inventory. And we were out off, what was it, nine or 10 places. Yep. And if you're right. a premier coaching client, you've got coaching calls that go with that and an actual checklist which I truly believe, Tim, you know, the agents that are coming into this market, when they have um, coaching like that, where, where the question is, how do I find what my buyer is looking for? Okay, so if you got your license today and I said to you, here are the nine or ten different ways to find property, that agent is naturally going to be ahead of the agent who has been addicted to only the MLS for the past 20 years. It's actually the, the newer agents that are like, okay, yeah, well, you know what? Maybe I will look up some new construction. Maybe I will actually talk to a for sale by owner. They're, they're more open to it. Our podcast and our coaching business is, um, you know, it's international. We've got people listening to us. We've switched over to a new podcasting, I guess you'd call it platform, a few months ago. And the analytics we get are fascinating. But we have listeners and all, like, granted, it'll be like five listeners in, like, Iceland. <laughs> I know. It's we'll have five people in Iceland downloading us. But we saw that we had a ton of people downloading us in the Middle East and Afghanistan. And I'm thinking to myself. Israel, we've got at least one or two people in Israel. I was, I was like, why the heck would we have listeners in the Middle East? And I realized they're soldiers. Yep. That's what they are. They're soldiers. Yeah. And they're guys that are in. So thank those of you who are listening that are forward deployed. I appreciate and we sincerely respect and honor your uh, service to our country. And we look forward to you returning uh, stateside Mm -hmm. so we can help you start your real estate careers or continue to your real estate careers. But as I as we have these conversations with people all over the planet, we get, you know, people communicate through us, you know, Facebook or they'll text us or email us. Um, the manner in which real estate is transacted globally is very similar to the United States, but it's also completely different. And the thing that's different is there's not an entitlement to a buyer's agent side commission. And that's something in the United States that is going to rock, I think, every single real estate brokerage 
an agent when they realize that the idea that you're just going to basically, you know, casually work with real estate buyers occasionally and you're going to be able to, um, you know, automatically get paid a commission on a house that you introduced to them, which, by the way, they could have just found themselves and gone directly to the listing agent. And I know I'm crossing swords with a lot of you guys with regards to dual agency and buyer's agency and all the rest of it. But you ought to know that if there's a downward pressure on commissions going forward, which of course there will be, it's not going to come from the listing side. It's not going to come from... Um, it comes from consumers. I had a case of that right. in coaching this week where, you know, because this person was looking in a hot price range in a, you know, um, popular area, and the agent was, you know, very competent, busy listing agent, but could not jump immediately. That uh, buyer client said, you know what, We're, we have to move. We're just going to call the listing agent. That's our version right now of not expecting a buyer agent commission. The buyer will circumvent you if you know that's that's okay. That is legal for them to do. You know, also the thing I struggle with a lot here's the mosquitoes right there. Oh, did you get it? Oh, it's over here now. Thanks. You sent them over to me. You know what? The size of the I think this is what the alligators been eating. Could be. <laughs> Explain how big you got. Tell you what. This is what aggressive mosquito. You want to just break down? And go get the off. Yes. All right. Back to you. Back to me. All right, go get the off before this thing gets us. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to get him. Well, what were we just talking about? Now I've forgotten. Oh, yeah. So that's – I'll tell you guys if you want to talk about – you know, if you're um, – if you're buying your buyer leads, which a lot of you guys are, well, Julie and I are always looking for rental properties. Um, we're looking right now in North Carolina. We're looking in Amelia um, Island, Florida. We're just we're not in buying mode, but we're in watching mode because we're trying to understand those markets. And so Julie finds something on in uh, Realtor.com, I think in North Carolina, someplace we want to buy some some you know place that's going to be a VRBO that's up near the Smoky Mountains, some you know beautiful lake property. Which, by the way, that area of the country, oh my gosh, if you guys live there, you're so lucky, so gorgeous. Um, and we're headed there in October. So for those of you who live near Dragon's Tail, uh, near, uh, I think it's Murphy, North Carolina, we're going to be there for 10 days enjoying the leaves and relaxing. So if you're in that area, if you want to stop by and have a cup of coffee with us, um, love to meet you. In any event, when you look at um, how a lot of these agents have basically, the buyer's agents, agents that have come into the business, here's what we've discovered. A lot of agents have never uh, developed any skill. And all these companies have emerged to basically tap into agent apathy. And for example, Julie was you know, hitting Realtor.com up for this listing. And you guys know about all this. And the A, the listing, the person that called her back was somebody employed by Realtor.com to call buyer leads back, try to pre-qualify the buyer lead, and then Realtor.com then refers that buyer lead off to agents. And here's how convoluted that is. That Julie tried to get out of this Realtor.com rep who the listing agent was. You know that mosquito is waited for you and it's like flying right around your... Yeah. <laughs> yep. Did you get it? No, you're just making it stronger. Hurry up. Oh, did you get it? Yep. All right. Julie, the mosquito killer. Well, so she goes She goes checking on this property in North Carolina, and, and the agent, uh, the person called her back, wasn't a real estate licensee, so I don't even know if that's legal, by the way. And all this person was trying to do is basically, you know, peel Julie out of determined motivation just normal prequal stuff yeah and julie's like look are you the listing agent no are you even an agent no so what are you trying to do and and the, the whole thing was just crazy because this was a no-skilled person 
who not was obnoxious. who was trying to basically um, I how would you guys not call that baiting and switching? And that's the thing that always rubbed me the wrong way about how Realtor.com and Zillow, how they treated listing agents, how listing agents, you know, succumbed to the pressure and the and the misinformation about uh, having uh, listings widely distributed through different portals. And it, so what you're going to start seeing is you're going to start seeing m- more low-skilled agents who have come into the business in the last really 14 years who've never learned how to pre-qualify, who've never learned how to do anything other than buy their buyer leads. And now all of a sudden, and I pretty much can guarantee it's going to happen in earnest over the next 12 to 24 months, you're going to start seeing that listing agents and sellers are going to start saying, um, you know what, I don't want to just basically set aside 25 or 3% of every transaction for a buyer agent who is in essence negotiating on behalf of my you know, competition. Negotiating the per- against you. The, no, why am I paying that person to negotiate against me and take money out of my pocket? And that they're representing the buyer. They should pay their own representation. I'm not paying it anymore. And if that buyer, and then what's, what's that going to do? It's going to make it so that agents who've only learned or never really learned, but only have been working with buyers, are now going to start having to explain to the buyer why that they're worth you know, 25 or 3% of the transaction. That's never going to happen. So these agents that have never learned how to pre-qualify, never learned how to basically generate their own leads, never really learned how to do anything in the past, you know, maybe 13, 14 years. And now they're going to be somehow put in a position where they're supposed to convince a buyer why they're worth potentially tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of a transaction just for doing what that buyer can do themselves, watch the virtual tour, call the listing agent, you know, the whole thing. And that's the way, by the way, real estate's done in the rest of the world. That was my closing of that loop. Only in Canada and maybe partially in some other parts of Europe do you see this buyer agent commission thing being an entitlement to the transaction. Normally, then there's no mutual, there's no organized sharing of listings either. Um, and so what these technology companies have done essentially is they obviously rode it on their white horse and presented themselves as being the savior to the consumer and the evil real estate industry, which was trying to hoard all the information and try to make it so that, you know, consumers were relying on second and third hand information. You can't trust the agents, but you can trust these tech companies. You guys, you if you've been alive long enough, that's their usual pitch. There's some sort of uh, ad. What would be the word even? advocates or activists on behalf of consumers it's all a bunch of malarkey that's not how my call went and all they try i asked for was pictures right and all they try to do is they just try to get between you and your customer that's what these companies are all trying to do just lead generate that's it so yeah we're going to see a big sea change in how buyer agency is handled and we're going to see a bunch of agents who've never learned skills are going to be on their heels because guess what it's they're not going to be able to sell to the buyer why they're worth you know paying anything to and that's what's going to unfortunately happen. And a lot of brokerages who are experiencing a lot of downward pressure on commissions, what happens if your buyer agent commissions completely get washed out over the next, say, two or three years? Or at least the buyer agent commissions go down dramatically. And that's what happens in the rest of the world. When you're in Australia, um, you know their sales process is usually auction-based, but you pay the seller side of the commission. And if there's a buyer agent uh, that brings a buyer... Then that and they want their commission paid. It goes on top of the sale price. The buyer can finance their own commi- uh, buyer agent commission, and they they can do that in the United States too. But again, this goes it's going to go back to skills. So this yeah. is this is a really this transitional period is going to create again a lot of headwinds for a lot of low skilled people in general, not just in real estate. So you can't just basically be on you know 
quarantine hideout. You can't just wait for things to return to normal because by the time you realize that you waited too long, you're going to peep your head back out of your cave and you're going to realize that nothing is the same. And it's going to be so bizarre for so many people that this is going to be for a lot of people the the big emotional checkout, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, you got to get your skills on. I mean, look at all the other areas where you have got your skills on, like how many of us had never been on a Zoom call before? But now if you want to, you know, educate your child or do a listing presentation or do virtually anything, you're going to have to figure some of that out. You know, the people that uh, that hide out are going to be left behind, left in the dust. So, well, But think about yeah. what you just said. Think about how fascinating that is. Mm-hmm. So reciprocity, right? Right. So you have a Texas agent's license. Mm-hmm. What states does reciprocity for I don't for think Texas? Texas has very many at all. I don't think they do either. I don't think so. But I know like Puerto Rico, yeah. they have reciprocity. With what? like Arkansas and West Virginia or something no, like wasn't that. Wasn't it Georgia too so, or something I, Yeah, I think Georgia also. Yeah. Because yeah, I was thinking about Colorado. Well, if, I, if, yeah. I'm in, if I'm in Puerto Rico and, and uh, you know, I want to start doing business in um, on the listing side of things and I can basically operate digitally, what would prevent me from starting to call, uh, for example, or you know, essentially solicit expired or for sale by owners in those particular markets if the new normal and yeah, I'm going way ahead of my skis here, but just think big guys. It's possible. Yeah, it's you could start possible. doing all the expectation and it's now normal to basically have your agents doing presentations over Zoom. You know, nothing is really done in person and person becomes the exception to the rule. Um, and that's just the new normal, right? And that means that if you're living in, you know, wherever you're living, you could have multiple states or have, a, you know, reciprocity with another state. And you could start transacting in other states and have absolutely no barriers to entry because Good. all the, you know, the normalcy of, of essentially thinking that someone has to be local is completely gone. I know. I've always had it's, this, it's this concept possible. of uh, like a, a nationally based price reduction company where you could charge agents to get their listings priced right. You know, do it for them. We there's totally all, there's all kinds that. of all kinds of opportunity there. Well, we're working on starting um, or restarting a national real estate team. Tim and Julie Harris's, mm-hmm. you know, Harris Homes and Estates. We're going to do it too. So what we're going to do is we're going to start a national because we're with EXP and EXP is licensed in all fifty states. So why don't we start a national real estate team? Why don't we basically? Well, we are. There's not even yeah, a question. The no questions are also already been answered. We're we're going to announce that sometime soon. But we're going to offer you guys the opportunity to work with Julie and I as part of our EXP t- uh, real estate team, and we're going to provide you all the you know the support that you'd normally get, um, plus a whole bunch as you guys would come to expect from us, um, all the coaching and the training. But we're going to give you access to referrals and to leads and all that, and we're going to be able to do it in all fifty states. How cool is that? So with just essentially inside probably thirty days, maybe two weeks. We're going to have our own national real estate team again. But you guys can do the same thing if you're associated with a company like e- – well, not a company. There is only one company that you can do that with, which would be eXp Realty. You can start your own national real estate you know, team, let's call it that, um, with, with no barriers to entry in essence. Basically, your ability to disseminate information and get people interested in joining your team and offering a you know, unique set of values that would want, to, want them to be part of your group. That's an amazing thing that only is possible because of how fast things have changed with regards to the adaptation to uh, technology. And I'm really excited about that. I think that's going to be amazing. All right. So, Julie, let's talk about – I sent you some notes with regards to real estate stuff. Well, uh, so things that we talk about but also to keep an eye on and have been proven thus far is that, for example, working from home, as we talked about, is no longer stigmatized. Video conferencing is acceptable. This is already affecting where people choose to live. Okay, so before we all knew that the trend was to move into the city, deal with getting a smaller place for more money, not deal with traffic, 
but now people are looking for quality of life in the suburbs or beyond the suburbs. Take a pause. I'm going to yeah. share with you. I didn't sure. send this article to you. Okay. So there was another article that was equally as fascinating, but it was a little bit too doomy and gloomy for even me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just mm-hmm. depressing. Mm-hmm. But they were talking about a sen- what's going to happen to these urban areas. Like, look yeah. at New York City, right? You have, what was it, 13,000 vacant apartments. Yeah, that's of, as of now, and that's without the foreclosure or the um, eviction moratorium running out. Right. Imagine and, after that. And look at, look at it in, uh, what, what's Madison Avenue in New York City? Uh-huh. All those retailers, they're yep. out of business. Yep. They're never coming back. Lowest cost for retail space in the history of, uh, you know, recent times in New York City. I forget what they, it's like 700 a square foot or something. And then you look at, then you think to yourself, well, what caused that momentum to change? Uh, nothing that's even remotely on the radar anywhere. So if you're living in a a densely urban area like that, the coronavirus, I think, has created an excuse for people to um, essentially move the hell out of the city and get away from the taxes. But you're going to have these cities now that are all their future planning and all their expenses, the everything that, for example, New York City has to spend money on to keep New York City, New York City, that it's based on people's consuming things and property taxes and that type of expense. Well, if people are leaving and they're not spending money in the city like they were before, what's going to happen to the city itself? And well, this is massive what, commercial vacancy as well, not even just right. residential. And this is what that article yeah. that I didn't share with you was talking about is in these densely populated urban, um, you know, areas that have been the essentially the the hubs for commerce and technology. They're all going to go through this metamorphosis into something that's truly undefined, and we saw we've seen that happen in the history of the United States before. It happened in Detroit. Yeah. Yes, well, and <clears throat> it takes a long time to convert, and you know, you it, it really all of these conversations get back to supply and demand, and yep. what is the demand for, right? So, for in Detroit, for example, houses got to be so inexpensive, well, cheap. For but practically free. If you guys have never been to Detroit, Detroit, <laughs> like Detroit. If you've never been right to real Detroit, you will be shocked, because Detroit there was this um, beautiful. It, it, Detroit for a long time was one of the sort of industrial hubs of of planet Earth, right? Because yep. of making cars and all the businesses that were associated Extreme, with making yep. cars, it was mm-hmm. really your was it was the best of what the United States had to offer. And then for a whole bunch of reasons, you know, generations. Um, you know, fast forward generations, and then Detroit on itself is is now largely a ghost town. And you drive through Detroit, which we did because we used to go to the Detroit Auto Show every year, and I think it was January or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you drive up through Detroit; it is bombed out in the literal sense. It looks like yep. something from a movie. Matter of fact, they actually when you guys see those dystopian movie scenes where they're showing essentially bombed out cities and whatnot, there. that's where they film them. They film them yeah. in Detroit. It is so sad and depressing. That yeah. you just can't even put words now, to it. there are some lovely suburbs surrounding it, right? And the same with Baltimore. And I was reading Buffalo, New York for a long time was like a really hip, fascinating, interesting place when they were in charge of all the Great Lakes, you know, um, you know, commerce and stuff like that. It's so, a pendulum thing. But, but what, what happens about. to right. those areas, right? And it doesn't happen like next year. It has to go through a really horrible cycle. You know, and now in in little you know areas of Detroit, those houses that sell for like five grand, fifteen grand a pop, those are going. Those are becoming like art studios. Yeah, but they're still not things like that. But they're not selling like they're used to, right? They're not. There's no coming back. There's no tax basis there. No. And so there's no coming back. And world is the world has moved on. Some of them don't even have utilities. You know, those neighborhoods got letters in the mail saying. 
two weeks from now, you will no longer have police coverage. Right. And four weeks from now, you also won't have water. They, what was the, I don't remember the legal term, but literally there's, there were cities in Detroit where the, the Detroit you know, uh, government, in essence, said, we're no longer going to be servicing that part of Detroit. Yeah, you're on your own. Right. We're not, there's no fire service yeah. there, no utilities there that we're going to worry about, nothing. It's just, it's no man's land. And that happened. And yeah, guess put what? Put that in a home brochure. But that's gonna, that is starting to happen in other parts. And we're not talking about defund the police. We're not talking no, about stuff like that. that. We're talking about the effects of long-term shifts and um, essentially where people want to live, how yeah, they well, want to live. Especially in the big urban environments. Yeah. That, is, that, that is not speculation anymore. We have real numbers on that. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of people reporting the uh, instances of searching for, you know, minimum of one acre, minimum of five acres. There's up like 2,000%. People want to politicize this, and it's not political what this is. It's economic. If there were viable jobs there and, and people could have quality uh, lifestyles there and the whole thing, people would move back in a heartbeat. But what you're seeing now, and that that's what the migration patterns the United States have typically followed, right? I mean, if you guys go all the way back to, you know, uh, P- agriculture right most americans for the longest time worked on farms or farm related businesses and then all of a sudden people started moving to the cities to get jobs and that's what happened in china that's what ha- that's the typical pattern right so you go from an agro agricultural based uh you know subsistence type uh, economy that is based on people you know basically growing things and then you move to a service uh, based business or an industrial type thing where they're making things that are to support a. You guys understand what I'm saying, right? And so you see the birth of these mega cities, especially China's the best example. It's insane, though. That's partially fueled by, um, you know, a lot of uh, yeah, government money and all the rest of it. But that aside, what happens when people no longer have to work in the cities and no ha- longer have to live in those dense areas with all the compromises? What happens to those cities? people seem to want to get the hell out that's what and they don't go back and that's what's that's what a lot of people are are worried that's going to happen to a lot of these cities uh, that a lot of parts of the cities and remember guys it's going to be bifurcated right you'll have certain cities certain parts of the city Mm -hmm. where like where julie and i are from in columbus ohio you had this beautiful area it's still beautiful called german village and then literally two or three streets from german village you had this other area wasn't it called hungarian village or something crazy that's nearby yeah and I can't remember the other little sister community. There was like, if you'd cross this street, you are now outside of German yeah, Village. Yeah, but German Village was this tiny little area. Yeah. Obviously, it was founded and built up by Germans that came, you know, immigrated yeah. from wherever. Uh, so moral of the story is, is those that's the bifurcation you're going to see in well, these cities. So you have two. I think there's two levels of your word bifurcation. There's city versus suburb versus country. And then you have within the city, you have little pockets For that sure. have lots of enthusiasm behind them. And people are very protective of that. And, you know, they will survive and perhaps thrive, but possibly right next door. And this is why you guys have to, you know, really pay attention to what you're doing because it's not going to be the same citywide. You might have something that, you know, has a thousand days on the market or something like that. I'll tell you, one of the other things that I'm seeing with um, some of our coaching calls is people, it's not just suburban, it's even beyond that. So places that were like third tier, you'd never even consider that in your search. People are finding like, all right, so I found this, this kind of okay house but it's got a hundred acres how do i subdivide that into being able to have five houses for the rest of my family or maybe i can build a like a homeschool pod on that land we didn't get questions like that before nope. it was how can i move into the city and still afford it yeah exactly it's totally and, different and, and then like if they're moving for the longest time and we had we still do have i don't even know how many coaching clients and podcast listeners in manhattan yep. thousands maybe tens of thousands i don't know 
And, you know, the reality of it is, is that uh, I'm worried about you guys. I really am. And you, you all have to start thinking in terms of whether or not your market, as it's been, is going to be the market that you want to be part of going forward. And, and that, this goes to, like, all these sort of institutionalized beliefs about our industry in particular. And you have those bullet points from that. Right you, you, you don't have to if you don't want to. It's up to you. I had a few. We were talking about one of them. It, it comes down to the trajectory of the um, of inventory and, you know, what happens with interest rates. So a lot of the predictions are, you know, it's going to be fast and furious for the most part, with exceptions like we're talking about Manhattan and Detroit and Miami condo market and stuff like that until after the election. Right. Because nobody wants it to hit the fan. Nobody wants to take away some of the stimulus after the election things may start to settle down pricing wise and inventory may rise that's going to be the story is what happens with inventory and if inventory were to rise at the same time as interest rates going up that can settle some of the demand down and then things would normalize a bit but we've got a lot of economic um indicators saying that interest rates might actually go down right even next so year. so i think that's the thing to watch is which direction does it go the article that you're that you were referencing was yep. from Forbes and it was written by a guy that basically was a real estate investor, yes. right? In essence, that's and what he does. And had lots of different, you and, know, they had like... And he, um, made his, he, made, yeah. he, he made his money by buying distressed real yes, estate. That's right. So he has confirmation bias. Of course. Right. Yeah. And, and look, we have no bias one way or the other. I mean, whether... We have agent the, bias. We want you all to be successful. Exactly. That's what our, our bias is. But his, he was kind of um, believing that the, there was going to be a big return to distressed real estate. And I'll give you our opinion too. If there is, we're going to prepare you guys. Your guys are going to be short sale, drilled down, REO, everything we can possibly, you know, cram into your heads. You're going to you're going to learn, and we're going to do it fast, and we're going to do it better than anyone else, as we always have. Already and, ready to rumble. Yeah, that's right. We've already got it ready to rumble. Literally. Well, the, and this is one of the reasons we kept our BPO cash flow. But we don't alive. think it's going to happen. No. Right. That's what we're trying to explain to you guys. Now, 90 days ago, we did think it was going to happen, but now we don't think it's going to happen. And some people are theorizing that after the election, you know, all this stimulus and all this government intervention is going to go away. No, it's not. It's never going to go away. I really don't think it's ever going to go away. No, I don't think so either. And he talks about that a little bit, um, especially if the president changes because the new, you know, new guy in town might have uh, more pressure to, you know, now, okay, now do something about the economy. Do you think they're going to let things hit the fan well, then? What no. they're going to do about the economy, what does that even mean? What they're going to do yeah. about the economy is they're just going to print more money. Right, exactly, because that has been proven to keep things alive. Right, exactly. And nobody wants, you know, the drama of being the person that was in office when it started to decline. You, you tell None me the, of those things will go away. You tell me the president or the, you know, any sort of politician that's going to preach austerity, right? No. Who's going to try to take the punch bowl away? You, you tell me how that person doesn't get ain't gonna happen it ain't gonna happen nope and and especially now, with everything else going on at the right. same time you've got social unrest you've got the virus still around you have all these things you know that uh if we had one thing to deal with i think maybe they'd jigger with it a little bit more and see what they could slow down or speed up but there's so many things happening the collective unconscious i don't think wants any of that to to come unglued or do you, unravel do you guys remember um some of you will most of you hopefully you know, if you were born more than 30 seconds ago, you'll remember back when the economy crashed in 07, 08, there was all this huge amount of political turmoil about mm-hmm. the stimulus bill. And it was, was Congress. Con- it was it was less than a trillion dollars. It was like eight hundred and sixty three billion dollars. And this was supposed to be the Hail Mary pass. It was going to turn everything around and all the rest of it. Eight hundred and sixty three billion or whatever it was. Congress didn't pass it. And 
all these Congress people were saying, we can't do this because what's going to do, it's going to create uh, essentially a precedent where the government's going to bail out businesses where it's never going to end, that there's going to be continual handouts forever. It's going to totally, completely change the face of the economy and how we interact with each other and blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, they were all right because that's exactly what's happened. And just to put this in perspective, you guys Google this yourselves. That was $863 billion. This go-around since February between the money that's come out through the CARES Act and extended unemployment and the SBA you know, loans and just all the things that we know about and the money that the Fed's been spending to keep the stock market and the interest rates low and keep the bond market, all these things viable, trillions of dollars. One estimate was $18 trillion, okay? It was almost the same as the GDP, wasn't it? The GDP is $21.6 trillion per year, right? And so the the total value of all the goods and services sold in the United States in a year is uh, $21.6 trillion, might be $22.6, I don't remember, but I think it's $21.6 trillion. And uh, the amount of money that's been injected to the economy in how many months? I don't know, probably eight. eight. 18 trillion, eight, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, seven, Mm -hmm. almost eight, right? Uh, is almost the same as a whole year's worth of... Uh, and we're not through the year. Yeah. And so what's happened to all that money, right? What's happened to it? It doesn't just go away. It got spent. It's getting spent. It's cha- It's going from one hand to the other. It's just going from different hands than it did before. This has never happened before, where there's been this much money in- injected into the economy. Again, I mean, we talked about this a while ago, but that's the reason you see gold and you see the stock market and you see other asset prices going up. So I did have somebody ask me... Mm-hmm. Um, who asked me? Uh, Rob, uh, Michael Gordon. Uh-huh. He's the number. Fi- he's the number five. Him and his wife. They're going to do two hundred million in real estate uh, transactional income. Long time, long time coaching clients. They're number five at Berkshire Hathaway. I was talking to him yesterday, and he asked me what I thought was going to happen next year. And I think he was surprised by my answer. And my answer is essentially what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. I think that um, there's going to be uh, what's going to feel like a really bizarre boom in the economy. That's a hundred percent predicated on the government continuing to spend money. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to have an increase in the amount of money that's being spent and the increase in the amount of money that's being spent on differing things, no matter who gets elected. Honestly, right. yep. Trump, Trump, like before you'd say when you and I were growing up conservative, you know, people pull themselves up the bootstraps and all this sort of conservative values that we're all very comfortable with or, mm-hmm. you know, at least familiar with. At least familiar with. That's a better way of saying it. And now it's like the Democrats and the Republicans are all kind of preaching from the same side of the pulpit. You know, mm-hmm. they're all saying and doing the same exact yeah. thing. So there is no plan B. There is no Ron Paul that's going to say austerity and people need to stop spending money and we need to ain't going to happen. There'll be people There's that no say that. for that. None. Not now. Maybe 10 that's years from now. Right, exactly. Who's going to do that in a global pandemic and with murder hornets around yeah. okay let's let's just do austerity now too no. and, and guys the thing to watch out for is Please. whether there's a viable alternative to the u.s dollar because in our opinion and based on a lot of smart people we talk to and listen to that's the only thing that's really going to derail the ability of the country to continue to basically be artificially inflated until the cows come home and by the way the cows are probably never coming home no, and it, even like it. even then, here's another thing that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I know, Julia, are so boring for some of you guys because you don't care about any of this, but you should, should. Is guess what country on planet Earth has the largest gold reserves? You guys want want to guess? You want, want me to put up the uh, the clock? Do you know? I would imagine it's us. Yeah, it's yeah. the United States. So the United States has the largest gold reserves of any country in the world. 
-hmm. So we have more, we have trillions and trillions of dollars of gold. So, so you want a prediction from your sure. husband? Let's okay, hear it. here it is. I do think there's going to be a reckoning for the U.S. dollar in our ability to print money. I do think the planet, uh, the other countries that are essentially, um, you know, using the U.S. dollar as their backbone to their economies, they're going to get weary of the inflation that's going to come as a result of the money printing. Mm -hmm. They, too, are going to realize that um, in their countries, they're not the the value of their dollars that they've been using for trade is going to you know go down. Mm -hmm. And guys, literally, most of the world uses the U.S. dollar, and, and like you know, there really is no Deutschmark anymore. They're on the euro, right? But that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like in Europe, you go from one country to the other in Europe, and you're all using the euro. Well, a lot lots of parts of the planet Earth they use like in the Middle East, guys, they use the the U.S. dollar. It's called the um, uh, the petrodollar, because all the accounts at the end of the day for all the oil and gas trading that goes along, goes around planet Earth is settled through the U.S. Treasury in dollars. So we have hegemony. I always struggle with that word. Thank you. That has never been experienced by anything in any country um, ever. Well, okay, so eventually what's going to happen is people are going to start saying, you know, when the country, when the Treasury continues to print money, what that is doing is it's a tax, in essence, on the money that you have because it's making the value of the money that you have go down in buying power. Okay, does that make sense? We've never we it happens generally speaking, it happens subtly and in real estate, which is amazing, because you're selling assets that are also increasing in price, you're not really experiencing the downside of inflation. You might notice it. Um, that your milk now costs $10 a gallon, whereas you remember not too distant past, it was $5 a gallon. But your income has kept pace because you're smart enough to have a real estate license and the real mm -hmm. estate you're selling has also inflated. Which now, means your commission went right up with it. That's right. Now, if you're a normal Joe and Josephine and you're not in something that is inflating uh, to keep up with uh, the cost of things, then you're going to suffer. And that is what's going to happen. And that's what happens inflation. That's the reason inflation ultimately hurts the masses because they don't have an ability to basically buy the normal things that they would be buying. But what will happen eventually is the world will get sick of essentially the U.S. Treasury and the U.S. taking advantage of the position that they have as the global reserve currency. And there's going to be all kinds of who knows what could even be military or political unrest could be all kinds of different things. You're going to hear uh, rumblings of different countries who are going to start saying we no longer have faith and confidence in the U.S. dollar. It's already happening. Um, you'll start hearing it happen more in the next probably five to ten years. And then, in my opinion, mark this down, put it in your calendar. U.S. is going to say, okay, you're right. Um, we didn't handle our you know position as a, being the global reserve currency the way it should have been. And we did print too many dollars and it has created you know, this huge global financial problem. So we're going to come out with a new U.S. dollar. And guess what? This one's going to be backed by gold. And the benefit of being backed by gold is that they can only issue so much money as, as commensurate with the amount of gold that they have, which means that the U.S. government, everything will change geopolitically, but it'll mean, in essence, we can't just continue to print money willy-nilly with no strings attached, which is what we're doing now. Does this make sense? It does. I think it'd be a pretty radical move, but, you know, it's all very logical, too. Yeah. So, so if you were, I would, uh, you know, if, if I were you guys and I was listening to all this, again, you need to start thinking 
in terms of how you want your lives to be 10 years from now or 15 years from now. And look what the smartest people on planet Earth are doing. Warren Buffett is buying gold. He bought Barrick Gold Miners. You know, people are going to start looking at ways of hedging future risk. And that's not something you want to wait on because... No, it gets know, too expensive. It gets really expensive really fast. And But look, like, you know, obviously we like to talk about EXP Realty because mm-hmm. we're like the ultimate enthusiasts. Well, another example of something not to wait on. I mean, come on. Totally. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> what it, Look, EXP Realty is being is going to be, in our opinion, and I really cannot find a... And I, I think about it, too, and I intellectualized about this, and I talked to other really smart people about this. I cannot see how eXp Realty won't become the largest real estate brokerage in the world. Really. They've got fast the... Fast becoming. You, yeah. I mean, you can just look at the chart, everybody. You guys can all look it up. You can see it's already happening. When I'm talking, I'm talking to some of these these massive, like I was just telling you about the number five Berkshire guys who are going to do 200 million. And I'm having, and they have, can you imagine all the options they have and all the people that are, you know, yeah. breathing down there, it, it, off, making them offers? And I'm not saying the Gordons in general, but just people in general. They're looking at what eXp has done in the last 10 years, but specifically what it's doing now, the way they're implementing and the rate in which they're implementing. They're looking at what the stock value is doing. Uh, you know, we're not stock analysts or chart chartists or anything like that. But I know in February it was $8, and I know uh, last week on Friday it closed at uh, $40. And I know that pretty much the global financial press is now seeing that eXp Realty is sort of almost inevitably going to become the dominant player for real estate brokerage on planet Earth. That's kind of an amazing thing. And I find that incredibly exciting. The analogy of Amazon, I don't think that's over overstated, really. I don't. The, the analogy of, of, of other things that have started out as sort of, you know, it's a kind of a weird idea. We don't get it. It's virtual. How can you be virtual? And then all of a sudden, like, it's moved past those initial phases of, um, you know, just the early adapters and all yeah. that. And now you have the pet, most pedigreed agents in the United States. And now EXP has expanded beyond the United States to six different countries. Um, they're going to obviously continue to expand all over the planet. They've got this really, you know, I think fantastic executives in place to make the company go international at an increasing rate. But you're going to see EXP probably have over 40,000 agents this year. And who knows, by the end of 2021, maybe over 100,000 agents. So you're seeing something that other than tech companies, which is what EXP essentially is becoming, right? You're seeing a um, essentially a convergence of things that could only happen because of the coronavirus, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we do talk about this, but it's so true. EXP was born online. It didn't become online. It was born in a crisis. It, it didn't, right. And it was born in a crisis, right? It, it didn't have to sort of, you know, retrofit itself into the new reality. It already was there. Almost like it was waiting for something like this to happen to thrive because, you know, all of those things are, I, I kind of think of it as like, uh, what is it, the lodgepole pine um, you know, the, the, the seed, right? One. So there's a lodge, the lodgepole pines are those big, tall pine trees that they make lodgepoles out of and telephone poles that, you know, engineers like them because they're so straight and strong. Well, there's a breed of those that only can grow once they've been singed in a wildfire. You mean right? the seeds? The seeds can only emerge when they've actually, and, and why is that? Because the outer crust, they, the seed has a resin around it. And, you know, when it falls to the ground, it can't just plant itself because the resin's too tough for it to actually get its roots through until a crisis, like a massive wildfire, releases that. So it's not just one crisis, but it's, you know, a decade ago crisis where this started. And, you know, Glenn had the brilliant idea to say, you know what? 
let's just make this thing completely different so that it is, you know, it's not just online, but all of your resources are right there. You can do everything that you need to do in real estate from your desk, well, you from mentioned, your car, you, you mentioned Glenn your phone. Sa- yeah. You mentioned Glenn Sanford, yeah. right? He's I the mean, founder no. of VXP. This was his idea. But if you look at, for example, and he's now become a billionaire because of it, right? Yeah. In 10 years. Talk about things exactly, exactly. happening very quickly. Right. He, he goes from basically making a video back in 2007 talking <laughs> about how he was on his heels financially, maybe in 2006, and how his goal was to create this company that would be virtual. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say how he wants to create um, agent millionaires, how he wants to make agents owners of the company and share in the revenue. Avenue. And it, he was way, way early for his idea, yes. his concept. People sort of like questioned it. The old guard, bricks and mortar. Oh, that'll never happen. Real estate is all local and blah, blah, blah. And then look what happened and look what's happening. And that's the reason that we have some of the biggest real estate brokers and the biggest teams that are contacting us saying, all right, let's drill down. Let's really look at what this EXP thing is all about. Guys, it's not just a real estate brokerage. It is a real estate brokerage in the sense that basically it does, EXP offers whatever the best real estate brokerages in the country offer. In many cases, much, much better. So the services that an agent receives at EXP exceed usually the best, um, you know, brokerages out there. But the way that they've created this business is agents are literally owners in the company. Agents are awarded stock for selling houses, for sponsoring people when they sell their first house. You can buy the stock at a discount. AXP has created an alternative path forward for, you know, now tens of thousands, but soon millions of agents. So they don't just have to grow old in obscurity. They can actually build wealth and sell real estate at the same time. These are the types of situations economically that are usually only reserved for people that basically were born under a lucky star, Mm -hmm. owned franchises, owned regions, knew the right people at the right time. The wealth that's being accumulated amongst the tens of thousands of agents was usually just hoarded by the handful of people that were in the right place at the right time during the formation of said franchise or whatnot. Yeah, you know, the really cool thing is that this is very consistent in terms of like, you know, what what is the quintessential agent struggle? They sell a bunch of real estate. They freak out and keep it all in contract. The next month, they're half starving to death because they didn't do any prospecting or lead follow-up or anything because they're keeping their deals together. And they wonder, how in the world am I going to iron out the feast and famine? Even the best agents, I would say almost especially the best agents because they know how to list and sell quickly, they all suffer from that. And EXP allows for an additional spoke of income, okay, that is extremely consistent month in and month out. And I, you know, what really hit me, Tim, was the first time. It's not a spoke. It's multiple it's, spokes. Well, that's true. Multiple but income sources. the consistency sources, of it, right? Right. So what really struck me was the first time we went to uh, an EXP event and agents were talking about their profit share coming to them in terms of like profit share, revenue revenue share, share, sorry, revenue share that came to them month in and month out. Right. That even a difference of a consistent five grand, seventy five hundred bucks, right? Even a thousand bucks, even a thousand dollars. I mean, like. You know, what does it take on a normal deal to be able to save a thousand? You got to pay your taxes, you got to pay your fees, well, you got to pay for the cost of doing business. But think about and maybe this. you'll end up with a grant. We have dozens of rental properties. That's even worse. And and for <laughs> us to make a thousand dollars off a rental property, the property is worth probably a hundred and eighty, maybe two hundred. Well, we have rental properties now that we only net a thousand dollars off each rental property, and they're worth paid like, off. Paid off, right? Agreed. No mortgages, and we only net a thousand, and they're worth like a quarter million dollars, That's right? Nuts. So for you guys to make a thousand dollars off a rental property, you'd have to basically pay it off. You'd then have to, you know, deal with all the Service Mickey Mouse it. of being a tenant or being a landlord. 
and then you get a thousand bucks. Or you could just join EXP and sponsor a few people, and then you uh, can. And literally, I, and I want to be clear about this because some of them think that you know, well, I don't want to be a recruiting machine. I don't. I can't see having any time to do that. Literally, sponsor a few people, and you can have. I mean, if you want to start with just a thousand dollars a month, what would you guys do if you had a predictable twelve thousand dollars more, not just this year? But next year and the year after right. and the year after well, that. Well, it grows. You know? It grows. It won't just stay the same. And, and it grows. Exactly. Because people add people and add people. And I just remember being that at, at that event that was someplace south of Austin and seeing agent after agent just tell their little five-minute success story, right? And the impact that it had to them and their family and how they, you know, they well, were talking about sleeping well Let me get some real well examples. Yeah, let me get yeah, some real yeah, I sure. know people that have joined EXP in the last, let's say, 12 months. Yeah. And have personally sponsored, you know, recruited, if you want to call it that, maybe 12, 15 people. Mm-hmm. And their overall groups are 75 people, 60 people, 100 people. In other words, they're getting paid every time any of those people sell anything. Um, and they've only personally sponsored maybe a dozen people or 15 people. I know people that have – I know uh, at least five people, okay, that have less than – and they've been with EXP for maybe four or five years. And they just are not into the sponsoring. And so yeah. they've only sponsored maybe 10 people or 15 people ever. Many of whom probably came to them on their own. Right, exactly. Through real estate transactions, telling me about EXP or maybe it was their mom from – you know, is retired in Florida that has sure. a real estate license. But I know some of these people that have thousands of people in their groups uh-huh. because the groups have just, I, I don't want to say oh. they've grown organically because they haven't, but they have. I mean, essentially they've been in the right place and they've been, and, and because everyone is wondering about EXP. And so these are agents that are creating, they've created passive income from themselves from the revenue share. Essentially, because they've told a handful of people about it, and then those people told a handful of people, and those people told a handful of people, and then the system, because EXP is growing so fast, that's the opportunity that all of you guys have right now if you're going to take it seriously. And if you are at all financially you know, unstable or worried about what the future is going to hold, wouldn't it be nice to have a multiple sources of income, especially multiple sources of income that really have no trailing liability with them? You know, well, yeah, I, that's like, the best part, right? I know somebody who joined EXP. Um, I don't want to give names, but I do know his numbers because he told me. He's now got, I'll give you his initials. Okay. SK, you know who it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so yes. he's he's got, as of last week, he has uh, 200 people in his group. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I know what the, the 200 people, I know what he's, he's making. He's mm-hmm. making between ten and $20,000 a month. Okay. And he's personally sponsored, I think, something like, um, you know, maybe 25 people. Uh-huh. Something like that. Yeah. And that's how big his group has grown in that amount of time. Because people are talking to people are talking to people and then they're joining. And now and it's what's really amazing is A, that's enough money for him to pay all of his personal bills. Yep. But then the his group on a whole, this guy in particular, uh-huh. his group on a whole is growing by over twenty percent per month. Mm-hmm. So his you know, his a hundred people it grew by twenty percent. Grew by twenty percent. It's growing that fast. Now it's not going to. It maybe that happens for two or three months and then it settles down. Maybe one of the people that he sponsors sponsors a team or a brokerage and then incomes thirty people or whatever. But generally speaking, historically, I mean, we don't. You know, his sure. group's grown by probably about ten percent per month. Mm-hmm. So he's at two hundred people. Mm-hmm. If his group grows by ten percent per month, then he's going to be at you know two hundred plus ten percent, and then you, it compounds monthly. So then the, he's going to be at 220, and then it's going to grow by 10%. And maybe one month it's 6%, one month it's 14%. But then the end of the end of the end of uh, let's say the end of this year, he's going to have 300 people in his group. Mm-hmm. By the end of the following year, his group will probably grow with not a lot of intervention on his part. 
to probably, I would guess, 500, maybe 600 people. It's amazing. It is amazing. And, you know, and he, he, gets and revenue he is not share. talking to all 500 individually. No, That's of course not. And he gets yeah. revenue share on all those people. Yep. There's no servicing of those people. The XP does it for him. He doesn't have to answer their questions. He's not coaching and training. He's not their broker. He's not worrying about their errors and emissions insurance. Nope. He's not, you know helping them with their marketing or pricing or dealing with their cranky cl- customers or worried about it. He's just getting revenue share Yes, because of the fact that he introduced a handful of people that introduced a handful of people that introduced. That is incredible. Right. And, you know, it does continue to grow that way because of the enthusiasm for it. I guess that's one yeah. of the things I've been pleasantly surprised about. You know, before we, you know, were affiliated with EXP, we, we really, you know, we were kind of broker agnostic as long as you were happy we were, there and you know, it was a decent location and you were getting paid on time, then then that's fine. Okay, but at, so that was kind of like a neutral broker approach, right? Now, seeing how agents and brokers are with each other in EXP, it really is, I don't want to get all wishy-washy sounding, but it is more like a, a family type. You know, everybody helps everybody out because you're all benefiting. Well, we're all benefiting from the share value. Exactly. We're all as the so you call bigger. each other back. You answer questions. You support each other. You talk about all the different benefits and how to understand them. There's, you know, weekly calls. You can be as involved or as uninvolved as you want to be. You can just, you know, do your deals. You, and, you don't have you to. Know. You don't have to participate in no. revenue share. You don't have to sponsor agents or do anything. You can just basically be on the real estate sure. side, still kick-ass brokerage. Oh, the you cap. Hang your hat somewhere, right? The cap is only sixteen grand a year. If you have a team, your your brokerage, those caps are obviously less. But you know, you could benefit from basically being an owner in one of the, if not the fastest growing real estate company in the history of real estate, right? Because of the fact that you'll be able to buy the stock at a discount, you'll be awarded shares in the company when you just do normal transactions and all the rest of it. You know, you'll be given shares in the company just from doing what you're already doing and the shares in the company. And, and here's the other thing. I'd say in the last 30 days, not even 30 days, mm-hmm. EXP on a comp- uh, as a company has, I think, taken the next leg up in terms of um, becoming closer to uh, having a tech company valuation. Hmm. There, it, it was mentioned on CNBC. If you Google EXPI, yeah. which is the ticker single, symbol, if you just put that into Google, the financial press from around the planet is talking about EXPI as an investment. It's gone from something that people thought, well, you know, it's a real estate company and who knows what they do. And now people are saying, this is a runner. This is something like we've not seen before. This company is growing at such a rate and this company is profitable. I mean, Glenn and the executives at the company are running a profitable real estate company that is uh, never at a scale with tens of thousands of agents that's never been done before. All the while, Glenn is fulfilling his promise and his commitment, and he's making agent millionaires. And and it's real. It's not fake. And I know some of you guys are skeptics, and I get it because it almost seems like it's too good to be true. And that's probably um, what we felt like for the longest time before we aligned with EXP. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, almost two years ago, we thought it was too good to be true. And the one regret I have and Julie has is we didn't move faster. Yeah. We didn't do it quick enough. And now we see the momentum the company's building, the quality of the people that they're attracting. EXP in the next 12 months is going to start attracting some of the biggest names in real estate. And when that starts to happen, and all of you who are skeptics who are waiting on the sidelines for you know somebody to tap you on your shoulder and say, now it's time to take a hard look at EXP, in some cases, you will have waited too long because a, you know, a lot of those agents that moved in the markets before you, they're going to have relationships and conversations going with all the best agents in your marketplace about joining EXP, and then you're going to have to just fight for the crumbs. 
Look, I'm not being scarcity-minded. I'm just stating a fact. In some of these densely populated areas where there's a lot of DXP agents, it is competitive to try to find an agent to sponsor if that's what you want to do. So you really need to take take this seriously and this opportunity seriously and do it now because there's some breathing room while the government is you know, essentially uh, inflating um, the economy while they're printing trillions of dollars. We do all have this sort of re- retrieve to or this reprieve from normalcy. Um, where we don't have to seriously, we don't have to affect the ser- experience the downsides of what's actually going to inevitably happen in the economy. But before it does, you definitely want to diversify your sources of income. So I had somebody else ask me, Julie, mm-hmm. like what would cause EXP to go on its heels, mm-hmm. and like Good they're lo- they're looking for reasons why the it uh-huh. might fail. It it I can't I couldn't find one honestly. Not with this kind of momentum. I no, it can't. So. And 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 what's more is I think the if these you know worst case scenarios play out over the next however many years. Mm-hmm. EXP is going to be in the position like no other company because their cost structure is all virtual yes. because they're going to have, be diversified with agents all over the all over the you know country in every market. And mm-hmm. as we've been trying to make clear to all of our podcast listeners and coaching clients, there is no one market. So yeah. there might be EXP agents in one it's part of the country that are right. They're not doing well, but in other parts of the country, they're going to be doing well. Oh, that not good enough. Well, now we're expanding into different parts of the world in different countries. Yes, and it's agent owned, so there's control, right? You guys know what's going on at all times. There's so much enthusiasm for it. I think if it was something that you know, like you could poke some holes in it, it just sounded kind of like, eh, maybe you know. But there's there's so much good and so much enthusiasm and just the impetus behind it and expanding to other countries. There's I don't know. I mean. It's exciting. It's a great question, but I don't see any reason that it would have problems like that. And we're so we honestly, Julie, so I, I know if I say I know Gene <laughs> is listening and if I say lucky, if we're so lucky, Gene's gonna text me and say, Don't <laughs> tell yourself you're lucky, you're you know, we're doing blessed. Right, we're blessed. We're gonna say we're blessed. But we do feel we're blessed. We feel that we have found what will be, I think, the perfect extension for what yeah. our life mission has been with our coaching company and our books and all of our podcasts well, we and all of our coaching calls and all the things that we've been, you know, focusing all of our adult lives on trying to help real estate agents. The real estate agents are the people that we've chosen. But what were the chances of actually finding a brokerage like EXP that would be perfectly in alignment with what our own um, personal you know, life mission was. It's. Yeah, I feel. I, I do feel blessed. Honestly, I do. I. My only regret is we didn't do it sooner. Yeah. And and I think it's because it was so radically forward thinking that it's not something that I think you would like naturally go Google for. Is there a real estate company that has all these sixteen million different things that are super awesome? <laughs> you wouldn't. You wouldn't go searching for that. So if I had any regret, it's not doing it sooner, and that's why we talk about it so but, much. But so I'm gonna, that they can't say the same thing. I'm going to edit that, wishing we would have done it sooner, because I have to tell you, it's gotten so much. I hate to use this word because I'll get criticism for it. Easier. Well, that's true. You you don't have to answer what's exp. Right. You know things and like it's that. It's gotten so, so much. It's, it's got so point. much easier. And a, and a year and a half ago, hell, yeah. even a year ago. Yeah. And you mentioned the fact that you're a shareholder and you get stock in the company. People would even, well, what does that even mean? Who knows what the stock is going to do? Well, let me tell you, it's gone up by 400% this year. So there's that. But that's something you hear too from EXP agents, especially that are newer to the company, is there was still this sense that, well, you know, if the stock ends up being something, that's a little bonus, okay? And then they always say the same thing. You're not going to believe what showed up in my bank account today. This is the best thing ever, especially the first time they see it, right? Yeah. So, and then they realize that there's more where that came from and it's a real thing. So I, even though it's, I do feel like I wish we would have done it sooner. I have to say that now is way better than when we started doing it. I agree. Because the company is bigger. It's more organized. The company has got momentum on so many different fronts. There's so many ways to get help with it too. And, you know, to your point, you can either, 
you can join and just do your deals and never have to recruit. And, but don't be surprised when people come to you asking about it. That's right. And when that happens, maybe you haven't studied a lot about all the different benefits. You just ask for help. And there's going to be somebody, you know, it's maybe somebody who sponsored you is going to answer those questions for you. And then you get on to your next deal. Or you're going to say, you know what, this is pretty interesting. I'm going to study this a little bit. I'm going to go to some calls about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to spend part of my day doing this. So what we're inviting all of you guys to do is set aside your, like, guys, quit treating your real estate brokerage choices like it's a religion. Yeah. Don't You can't think like that because it's going to end up hurting you ultimately. If you're not an owner of your brokerage and if your brokerage that you own isn't making a lot of profit, this is an excellent time for you to take a sidestep and take your career uh, to the next level with the XP. There's no two ways about it. And I know a lot of you guys listening are big teams and big brokerages and you're thinking to yourselves, well, how do I transition to EXP? I totally get it. You probably know people that have moved over. You've certainly heard the stories. You've gone from being a skeptic. Now you realize that it is probably the last best business opportunity of most of our lifetimes, pretty much all of our lifetimes. And you're saying, well, I want to be part of it. It's not too late, but you really do need to move quickly. Um, and just open your mind to what your life could be like moving forward if you did, yes, have income from selling real estate, but then created multiple uh, spokes of income from all these other things you get to leverage at eXp. If you guys want to talk about joining Julie and I at eXp and being part of our eXp group, we are definitely looking for uh, people that are forward thinking and definitely looking for people to work directly with us as part of eXp Realty. So if you're looking to make a brokerage change, do text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. So if you want to join EXP, if you're ready to move forward, um, text me directly at 512-758-0206. If you're just EXP curious and you're just getting started, um, text the word EXP to 31996. Text the word EXP to 31996. But at this point, most of you, I'm sure, are just a few questions away from wanting to actually join Julie and I at eXp Realty. So do text me directly at 512-758-0206. Well, and that's the best way to actually learn about it. Don't rely on what you might have heard or you know right. maybe was out there on Facebook someplace. Actually go to the real resources. And that's why we're reaching out and, and giving you Tim's cell phone. Who you choose to be your sponsor at eXp really does matter. It does because if you choose somebody that's inactive, that's not really used, looking at eXp as for what the amazing opportunity it is, and they don't have the, uh, the the backbone, the education, and frankly, the never-ending support to support you in all facets of your real estate business, including building your revenue share, then you're going to struggle needlessly, and you're going to have to look beyond your sponsor to find somebody that's going to give you that support, which you can because you know eXp is full of very enthusiastic, forward-thinking people. Uh, but do be careful who you choose. You know, do be careful. Make sure you're aligning with someone who's thinking as big as you are or bigger. That's definitely yeah. what you want to do. Um, and then, guys, look, that is, I think, a good rounding of the bend yeah, for the podcast absolutely. today. Yeah. That's right. And we'll see them tomorrow on the regular show. Yeah, we didn't talk about anything crazy. No aliens, yeah. no nothing. Something, oh, no, we talked about it, iguanas and alligators. <laughs> yeah, that's what we talked about. So so you guys have a fantastic day. If there's anything we can do for you, obviously always reach out. We always appreciate your feedback. I always appreciate the text. Any opportunity that we ever have to be of service to you guys, just text me directly, 512-758-0206. I almost always return all texts. Sometimes if I get a big bunch of texts, it might take me a day or two. Sometimes I might have someone from our team contact you back if you have a real specific drill down question. Um, and you know maybe you have a challenge in your real estate business or whatever. So you will hear back from me. In some cases, I'm actually going to have you speak with somebody else. But we, I am not going to blow off the opportunity to be of service to you. Um, 
you know, we live by uh, the words that we actually say, and uh, we appreciate being of service to you guys, and hopefully we can be expanded uh, of service to you as we move forward through these never-ending changes that we're all experiencing on planet Earth. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.